Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, we left off in verse 6, and I want to pick back up, but I'd like to read just uh, uh, start at uh, verse 1 and just get back into where we were. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm, I am glad you came out. I know it's chilly out, and hopefully uh, I know some of you worked real hard today, and some of you are about ready to fall asleep, so I will do my best not to add to your slumber. Amen. I might have to get a little bit animated here. But <clears throat> you know, one of the hardest things I ever had as a young man uh, is you'd work all day long and you just give it everything you got and then you come sit in a warm church. You wait till about January when it's about zero out, you know, and then you get in the church and it's real toasty. I don't care. Preacher can stand on his head. You're going to sleep. You worked all day. <laughs> you say, well, no, it's you're tired. I get it. <laughs> so I never get upset. Uh, one feller said that. <clears throat> um, People say that they talk in their sleep, but preachers, preachers talk in other people's sleep, amen. So, look at First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. So Paul, he couldn't wait no longer. He couldn't wait any longer. He had to find out how the Thessalonians were doing. He, uh, he was just, uh, he knew they had been through a lot. He'd been through a lot, and he wanted to know if they're still in the fight, they're still with it, and still going strong. He said, and sent Timotheus, that's Timothy, our brother, and minister of God and our fellow laborer. There's the three marks of a good minister there, right? He's a, he's a brother in the Lord. He's a minister of God and a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Three marks of a good minister there. And what he's doing, he was sent to establish them. He says to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So we said this, not only the three marks of a good minister, that preacher, a good preacher he will help establish you doctrinally and give you the right doctrine, but he'll also comfort you. And how you're comforted is not just always, not just always having nice things to say or a card on your birthday, but reminding you where you're going when you die. Amen. It's good. That's that's real comfort. Uh, nothing like uh, nothing that'll cheer you up, but knowing that you're heaven bound. Amen. And if you got physical ailments, as a lot of people do. Boy, ain't no better comfort to learn than one day you're going to have a body like Superman. I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who Superman is. Hollywood just gets you thinking it's some fellow in a blue suit with leotards and a cape, you know, but uh, that's Jesus Christ. Who can beat Superman? Nobody. Well, I know what Hollywood did. They, they killed him, and, of course, they resurrected him. Imagine that. Another type of Christ there. But anyways, enough of there. Bible says in verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. So without a shadow of a doubt, we picked up the last time we are together, that you definitely are appointed unto afflictions. You're appointed. Let me just simplify it. You're appointed to hard times. And that is not the American dream. That is not the American way. That's not how you're raised for the most part, unless you're raised in a Bible-believing home. That is not what you're taught. You're taught you work hard, you get all the schooling you can get so you can be financially secure, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Isn't that, isn't that right? Amen. But you know what Paul says? Cheer up, it'll get worse. You've been appointed unto afflictions. That goes through the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. Look at here, verse 4. For verily, when we were with you, that's the first visit, Acts chapter 17, if you want a reference point, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and you know... So Paul said, look, it's coming. We're suffering tribulation. You're suffering for your faith. Uh, you're, being, uh, you're doing what God wants you to do. Look at verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, 
lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Verse 6, but when Timotheus came from you unto us, he's already been there and coming back now, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. All right, now look at verse 7. It says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. And I'll stop right there. But uh, here's the thing. Paul got some great news about the Thessalonians. Amen? And let me tell you what, 2022, it is rare that I get it, but I'm excited when I hear good news. When you hear someone getting saved, that's good news. And if you're not excited about someone getting saved, you're out of the stinking will of God. You need to repent and get right. Amen? Amen. Love you, Lord. <laughs> but you ought to get excited about that stuff. You ought to get excited more about someone getting saved than you getting a raise on this on your job. And uh, Paul says in verse 6, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. So he's getting more than he bargained for. He was worried about them. And you know what you do as parents? You worry about your kids, don't you? And Paul was a spiritual father uh, to these Thessalonians, and he was worried about them. You say, well, you know, I don't worry because worry is a sin. Oh, shut up, you do too. You don't lie to me. You worry just like everybody else does, amen. But he says this, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. So they're growing. They're doing some things with their faith. The charity, that's the, uh, that's the love in action. You see that? And uh, it says that they have a good remembrance. And uh, we left off on this part, and that part was this, that Paul was used to not getting reinvited back when he went and preached somewhere. You see that? You read the, you read the Bible, you study the Bible, you get this idea that Paul was this larger-than-life character. Now, no doubt God used him larger than most of us will ever be used. Amen? You're not going to write any of the Bible because it's already written. But if we only knew the places that Paul did not get the return invite to come back and preach... Matter of fact, uh, when he was here in Lystra, you know what they did when he preached? They stoned him. Aren't you glad you live in America? Can you imagine going down to, uh, you know, the, uh, where is it down there? Uh, City Hall or something and preaching on the courthouse step somewhere and they just come and get a bunch of rocks and bricks and beat your brains out. Aren't you glad you live in America? Uh, before we started the street ministry down here, which was a great thing this year and I really enjoyed it, uh, I emailed the district attorney or the prosecutor and whoever and the judge and all that and I talked to the sheriff and uh, uh, Barney and all the rest of there in Mayberry but, and they said we had cleared in hot to go in and preach on the street but uh, not so in Paul's area. You know, he preached in, uh, in, in all of Jude, uh, Jewry there and where the Jews are at, they're likely to kill him. But, uh, <clears throat> but what you need to understand is Paul was used to the people that he helped in the past turning on him. And here's another unsavory part of the Christian life that you and I have got to come to grips with if you want to keep moving forward for Jesus Christ. I don't say this and try to teach this so you walk out of here with a complex of a, you know, expecting someone to sucker punch you every time you walk out the door. But let me tell you what, you go out and you live how God tells you to live, you're going to have trouble. I want you to understand that. Uh, If you're going to spend time in this church house, you're going to understand a couple things. You were appointed unto afflictions, and it's a divine thing to be and do the will of God. And if you're living on this earth and doing right, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. uh, But that was Paul, and that's what the ministry is. 
And we kind of left off right here that describing to you what the ministry is. The ministry is not you, uh, you know, just this continual state of improvement, even though you want to improve yourself spiritually, don't you? I mean, the business world says, all right, make all you can make and take all you can take and get better. And, you know, uh, when you get a, a raise, you get a better looking car. And uh, when you get a better job, you get a better looking house and upgrade and upgrade to the next iPhone and to the next computer. And, uh, well, you know, then get these options. But in the Christian life, you know what the ministry is? It's you doing everything you can to help somebody. You weeping over somebody, you crying over somebody, you bleeding over somebody, you sweating over somebody, you putting your a life and you putting everything you got into somebody. You cry over them, you get upset over them, and then when it's all over, they turn around and spit in your face. <laughs> That's the ministry. You just let that settle. <laughs> Aren't you excited? <laughs> oh, sign me up. And to think people are going into the ministry. And uh, <clears throat> Paul is saying, uh, you guys even want to see me again? I'm encouraged by that. And uh, he was really encouraged for the fact that in verse 6, they had, good, they had good remembrance of him. They wanted him to come back. And Americans in general have uh, zero uh, sense when it comes to what the ministry is. If you, if you turn on any television program that is ministry-oriented, it is not what Paul's ministry was. It's bigger, better, brighter, broader, more likes, more listens, more follows, more shares. Don't forget to, what's the word? Don't forget to like and share. Can you imagine Paul even saying something that stupid? Don't forget to like and share what I had to say today. <laughs> and I thought the dumbest thing you could ever think, don't forget to like and share. But American Christians now, uh, we have zero sense of what true ministry is. And listen, if you're getting on edge now, I'm not saying this against you. I'm, you're, you're like the 1% that get it. But you have to get it. And a lot of American Christians are willingly ignorant. And they believe that numerical gain is godliness. That's First Timothy 6. Let me tell you what. We have a beautiful building, don't we? Isn't this beautiful? I don't, I don't know. I might be wrong. I've said this ever since we got... I don't think we'll ever fill it. But the Lord might be like, yeah, you shut your mouth. Maybe you would. <laughs> but what if we do? That's not, just because we can put people in here doesn't mean we're doing the right thing. And American Christians think that if you have to have a building program go on, and if you have to have all this stuff to keep you busy, then you must be doing the right thing, or else you're not doing the right thing. You're just making it look like you are. And, uh, but let me, say, let me show you a couple things here. You know what ministry is? That's it. Some of you know where I'm going. Ministry is misery. You know what preaching produces? Pain. You know what sound doctrinal teaching produces? I'm hoping this will resonate with some of you. It gives you trouble. You know, you know a dozen, you, you probably know 20 people that might come back here if I would just tone the doctrine down a little bit. 
Well, I don't just don't preach on that. You know, it's real divisive. Sound doctrine brings trouble every time. The right teaching brings trouble. The right preaching produces pain. And ministry is misery. And uh, that, that's exactly what it is. And Paul, uh, what I'm saying is Paul was used to getting kicked around. And if you want to know why preachers are an odd bunch, because they're used to getting kicked around. You know, Bob Jones said, he said this back in, uh, would have been about the 50s. He, uh, he told one of his uh, pupils, he says, uh, he said, Pete, he said, I figured uh, uh, when I turned, was it 65? When did they retire then? 65 or 70? Whatever, whatever it was, right? He says, I figured when I, yeah, he said, I figured when I turned 70, he says, I could just sit down and everyone else would pick up and go. He said, Pete, when I got to 70, he says, I found I'd been kicked so hard, I was too sore to sit. He said, so what'd you do? I just kept standing, just kept preaching. And in the final days there, Bob Jones Sr. there, he, uh, it was said, I just read some material a while back, it was said that he started to slip a little bit in his mental capacity there, and he'd be, they'd find him on campus with a briefcase, and I'm, I'm going to miss my train, I'm going to miss my train. But he kept standing. And Paul was used to getting kicked, and Paul was used to not getting the invites back. And can I just encourage you that if you don't get the likes, it's okay. If you don't get people to like you in your Christian life, it's okay. Your job isn't to be liked by this world. How about this? Your job isn't to try to be liked by the brethren. The brethren are an odd duck all on their own. Some would say amen right there. Some of you are weirder than a fruitcake. I mean, your, your morning ritual is just weird. Amen. Y'all are not bidding. It's the truth. But Paul was used to getting kicked. He was used to being spit on. And so when the Thessalonians wanted Paul to come back, he was excited. Amen. And I relate to this. The fact that y'all come here in the middle of the week, I'm excited. Why? You should probably kick me, amen? But don't. Not. got in a fight with the splitter this week, and I think the splitter won. But anyways, I'm sore enough. But Paul was definitely encouraged. And like I said, Paul was used to going to places, a lot of places, after they going to preach at a ministering. Uh, they're like, Paul, don't come back. We're good, you know. We can do without your animation and all your antics there. And, uh, but that's the ministry. Does that sound familiar? Does that explain some parts of your Christian life that are less flavorful, right? It just doesn't seem to go your way. That's the ministry. It's misery. That's what preaching produces. See, the fact that you would submit yourself this in the middle of the week to, to preaching, it will produce pain if you do right. But you're going to do it to please Jesus Christ. You say, why? Suffering establishes you as a Christian. And that's what we're heading into. Suffering establishes you. Suffering strengthens you. Oh, I don't want nothing to do with that. I know, but he suffered, didn't he? Suffering settles you. Suffering strengthens you. You say, what is it about the Christian life that makes me grow? It's not all head knowledge. It's suffering. Uh, look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. But that's the ministry. And it's not just limited to preachers, amen? It's not just limited to, to missionaries. Every one of you here has a ministry to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ wherever you're at, wherever you go, wherever you may be. 
and your ministry is to minister to those around you. And as a preacher will give you and commit to faithful men and women the things that the preacher has been given by not only his teachers but by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you go out into this cursed world and you minister to other people, don't you? You attempt to strike up conversations with neighbors. You attempt to strike up conversations with co-workers. And you attempt to minister the grace of God to them. And guess what? It produces pain. It does. It produces suffering. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, the Bible says, For I know this, that after my departing, this is Paul, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, also of your own self shall men arise. Ain't that something? What's he saying? Trouble from within the church, you see it? Don't be afraid of it. Just believe the Bible and shake your head like you know what's going on. Amen. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to do what? Draw away disciples after them. <laughs> when I first came here in 2014, I was convinced the Lord would boot me out within one year. And if you had heard me when I first started, you probably might have led the charge. I have no idea. I got messages I'll never preach again. I don't think they're even biblical. You know what I mean? Just get up there and throw, throw a fit. But anyways, uh, what happens is these people, when Paul left, they'd arise within the church. Why? They're trying to draw people away to themselves. So not only do uh, the brethren turn on you and spit on you when you're trying to minister to them, but then they'll also try to proselytize other people away from you. They'll leave the church and they'll go to another church, and then they'll be calling your church members. Why? To justify the reason they left. That's the ministry. You can't look at it any other way. You have to expect it. Well, it's a terrible thing. Okay, you know what? Every uh, time in the spring when they spray all that liquid uh, stinky stuff, does it smell? Okay, so this is going to happen, ain't it? Paul said it would. The Lord said it would. Expect it. That's why he says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You have to understand uh, it ain't going to get any better. Now look at this. Paul was used to it. Paul was used to it. And trouble comes from within. And trouble also comes from without. So you'll have trouble in the church. Amen. You're still awake. And you'll have trouble outside the church, won't you? It's both ways. And Paul was used to that. Just think about Diotrephes. That's 1 John chapter 3. You know why Diotrephes wouldn't have the Apostle John come in? I mean, the Apostle John, he was the big deal. He was the closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Diotrephes, 1 John chapter 3, wouldn't even have the Apostle John in because if he had the Apostle John in then Diotrephes would no longer be the head chief and bottle washer. See what I mean? That's the kind of people you're dealing with. And you're dealing with that around uh, 30 to 40 uh, A.D. And that's uh, trouble within the church and trouble without. That's ministry. That's misery. Preaching produces pain. And you've got to understand that. But Paul was excited the fact that the uh, Thessalonians wanted him to come back. And he was a bit amazed when he says in verse 6, and that you have good remembrance of us, always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. And Paul was greatly loved by the Thessalonians there, and they hadn't turned on him, amen, despite the fact that they'd been under suffering. And that's why Paul was concerned, because we said last time we were together, when people begin to suffer, listen, Christian, when you begin to suffer as a Christian, you have to recognize where the attack's coming from. You might think it's people in town. You might think it's, this, but it's the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, we wrestle, or 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
no matter who's the mouthpiece for your trouble, the trouble is generally the devil. And you got to learn how he works. And you and me, we're like, we see the mouthpiece of the mule that's talking, and you, you think, well, they're the trouble. No, they're not. They're just being used by the devil. That's it. And uh, every time, uh, here's a problem. Every time Paul showed up and started teaching them about living right and doing right and acting right and doing more than just being saved, then the Thessalon uh, Thessalonians, every time they heard Paul's preaching, they got determined to do right. And you know what happened? They got it in the neck. What a drag. Can I relate that back to your own Christian life tonight? Every time you say, you know what? I'm going to do right. I want to do right. I want to get closer to Jesus Christ. I'm sick and tired of my rotten, stinking flesh. And I'm going to do right and I'm going to fly straight. You're going to get it in the neck. You're going to have trouble is what I'm saying. Every time you submit yourself to the preaching and the preaching pushes you closer to Jesus Christ and away from yourself, you're going to have trouble. And you've got to learn to recognize it. And when the trouble comes, you go, <laughs> I knew it was coming. I just knew it was coming. And then you might say something like this, well, I didn't think I was living all that right, but okay. <laughs> but it's coming. And every time they started doing right, they get it in the neck and they get it from their friends. And they get it from their family. And they get it from the world. And then all of a sudden you seem like you got a handle on your family and on your friends and on the job and on the world. And next thing you know, your flesh attacks you like nobody's business. And you wake up one morning, you're... And your fleshly appetites are screaming at you. And like, who is this person that inhabited my body? No matter what anyone says to you, it ain't going to satisfy you. No matter what appetite you have, it's not satiate. You see what I mean? And so every time Paul shows up to call people to righteousness and call people to holiness and uh, that they needed to start practicing what they're preaching, uh, it didn't make Paul a very popular individual. And uh, what I'm saying is the Thessalonians, they got into a lot of trouble doing what the Bible said. Why? Because Paul was their preacher and they listened to what Paul had to say. And look at verse 7. Paul says, I don't mind suffering. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Think about it. Paul's getting the fire beat out of him. He's getting the fire beat out of him. He's having all kinds of troubles and difficulty. He's being put in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get all nerved up if we give someone a tract and they yell at us. Or they don't even yell at us. They're like, I don't want that. And you're like, oh. I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. Get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Paul says, I don't mind suffering because why? Because his ministry has had some kind of effect on him. Think about what's happening. Paul was not used to getting the invites back, was he? Paul was used to getting rocks thrown at his stinking head. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, they're like, would you come back and minister to us again? And Paul's like, that's pretty good. Man, it's like... Maybe some of what I preached, maybe they're getting a hold of it. Maybe they're, man, maybe they're latching onto it. And Paul's like, I don't mind suffering. I don't mind suffering. You know, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're stronger than most. But very few people can stand long as a Christian without seeing any kind of fruit. You know, one of the most disappointing things in the ministry is never seeing any fruit. Think about it. 
serving the Lord Jesus Christ, laboring, gutting it day in and day out, day in and day out, and just get a, a couple of people to preach to. Now, you might be the tough guy or the tough gal. Well, I can do it now. Help yourself, man. I, I need to know that, that I'm doing what God wants me to do. I need to have some fruit every now and then, not like mangoes and coconuts and pineapples. I'm talking about fruit that the Lord gives. And uh, it's really good to see a convert that's going and growing and doing something for Jesus Christ. It is. And when you don't see that for a long time, man, it gets discouraging. And knowing that they're doing more than just getting saved, and Paul says, look, I really don't mind suffering uh, so much knowing that someone has got something out of what I'm doing. You know, I don't know about you. That's, I, I want meaning out of my Christian life. I want to know that God can use me as a rag in his back pocket, but I want to be able to go, okay, because I was obedient, Lord, then, then I'm seeing a little bit of fruit sometime. You're not always going to see it, right? If you go to the job place and you come in early and stay late, you'll see the fruit of that. And you check, if you're hourly, if you're salary, you might see it in a bonus. But uh, it's also to encourage, uh, Paul was, uh, was encouraged. And uh, that just uh, because he's going through suffering and those kind of things. But look at verse 8. Look what Paul says here in verse 8. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Now here... Paul's not talking about physical life. Paul's talking about, you ever heard of the phrase, uh, well, that's really living it. He's talking about really living it. I'm really enjoying the Christian life. And in verse 9, he's talking about, you, you know that's the fact, because the next verse, he's talking about joy and being thankful. And uh, uh, how can I thank God enough? Paul's not talking about physical life. Uh, I'm sure you know that, but it's just good living. A happy living, really living it. Real encouragement to see the church that he started going strong. I don't know how you can be a missionary in these foreign fields and you put everything you got into it. You got to come home for a furlough. They try to, some, some missionaries try to come home every four years and then leave your church every fourth year and pray and hope to God it stays going. You see what I mean? But imagine being that missionary going back after your year-long furlough because you got to come back. And Americans are, uh, we're terrible. We really are. Because, you know, we expect a missionary to have results, don't we? No, we do. But yet, we should be sending the missionary, missionary letters of what we're doing for the Lord. See what I mean? But imagine that fifth year going back and that church that you started uh, four years ago is still going. And it's thriving. That's Paul. And Paul's excited about the the Thessalonians wanting him back. Look at verse 9. He says, for what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? And Paul is so glad that his ministry has had some sort of effect and some help in the Thessalonians. And these people are going strong. And let me tell you, that sure was a shot in the arm for Paul. Amen. And like I tell you what, we see people saved. When we do, it is a real shot in the arm for me. And I know it's a shot in the arm for you. Why? You want to be part of a living church, don't you? You don't want to be part of a dead thing. You don't want to be part of the Dead Sea. You don't want to be part of just a, a group that you never see any growth. You never see the Lord do anything. You never see it. You like to see that growth, don't you? Amen. So do I. And Paul's encouraged by that. And let me say this, brethren, you need each other. 
You do. You need encouragement of each other. Listen, it's good to be able to call each other up once in a while and find out that you're doing well and God's blessing you. Amen. You need each other. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's also good is when you find out down the road that maybe you had just a little bit of influence in someone else's Christian life in a positive way, that because you are faithful, they're still going. You need that. That's what I see through Paul, Paul's reaction of the Thessalonians there. Man, you need some encouragement every now and then. You need to see the touch of God in your life and have it rub off on somebody else. And anyone that says they can live without that stuff, they can have it, man. I got a couple of friends, man, they're real tough guys, but not me. <laughs> I'm not tough. I mean, I might be able to run a chainsaw and throw firewood and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm really not a tough guy. Ask my wife. No, don't, don't. I just, that was just preaching coming out. Uh, some people are tough, and they can handle it, you know, way up in the cold, snowy north. Amen. But not me, man. I like to see God do stuff. I like to know that there are occasionally one or two individuals that might have got a blessing out of something the Lord gave me. I do. And you know what? They're still going strong for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. Verse 9 again. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. And you know what? It just made Paul happy to hear about something they had done. They're still going on. Verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now I draw your attention, he says, uh, perfecting your faith. And Paul's talking about establishing them in the faith, all right? And that's what Paul set out to do a couple verses back. That's why Paul set Timothy uh, out to visit them. And that's why Paul said, look, I'm going to go back and visit you. And he says, I want to show you what's lacking in your faith. And when you get to verse 10, this is not the second blessing. This is not the second blessing that many groups erroneously call it to be. You may have heard of this term, second blessing. It's unscriptural, but they're going to run right here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, and try to prove you unscripturally about a second blessing. And we'll hit on that in a minute here. But uh, I'll look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. What this is, is when you're going to do right in the Christian life, you're going to have trouble. We know that. And this perfecting what is lacking doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. This perfection has something to do with what you're doing in this life here. I'll come to 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 6. Very familiar passage here. Verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Notice what Brother Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. All right, so just a practical thing here. You humble yourself, guess what? When the Lord's ready for it, he'll exalt you. Amen. He'll exalt you when he's ready. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Thank God he does. No one cares like Jesus Christ does. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now watch this, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, 
establish, strengthen, settle you. And what establishes you, and what strengthens you, and what makes you perfect uh, is the suffering in your life for living for God. The purpose of suffering is to perfect you. The purpose of suffering is to perfect you. And Paul says, look, I'm going to come here and I'm going to help perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And that's the purpose of suffering, is to perfect you. All right? Uh, take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter ten, uh, 2. Hebrews chapter 2. It's to perfect you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Now watch this thing here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. The purpose of suffering is to perfect you. The Bible says, For it became him for whom are all things... And by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Ain't that something? Perfect through sufferings. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Now listen, if you don't get a hold of how your Christian life is going to go, you'll get frustrated, you'll get disgusted, and you'll be tempted to backslide, you'll be tempted to quit on God because somehow America and this world has taught you that everything's supposed to sail smoothly. But it doesn't. Now, I'm thankful for when it does. Amen? But you know what? Jesus told the disciples, I think it's in Mark chapter 4, uh, when, he, when he said, get in the boat, he says, let us go into the other side, right? So when he get halfway over there and they start going off the rails and flipping out and freaking out, what did Jesus say? He said, we're going to the other side. And could I just remind you that no matter how much you lose your noodle and marbles and all, you're going to the other side. You're going to get there. But that suffering is designed to, to perfect you. Look at Ephesians 4.13. Paul says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's Ephesians 4.13. That suffering in your life is designed to perfect you. There are some things that you lack as a Christian, and suffering brings that thing out. Not only that, but the purpose of suffering is to establish you. It establishes you. You may have not known how important suffering is in the Christian life, and it's not very popular preaching, but look at Colossians chapter 2. I'll show you this. Colossians chapter 2. The purpose of suffering is to perfect you, and the purpose of suffering is to establish you. Now here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, You have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Look at it. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. So it's designed not only to perfect you, but to establish you. You see how important that suffering is? And not only this, but it's designed to strengthen you. Suffering is designed to strengthen you. Uh, look over to Colossians chapter 1. Just one chapter back. Colossians chapter 1. And just to think, God designed us to be perfected and established and strengthened and settled through suffering. And every time suffering comes along, I say every time, most times... We just kind of lose it. <laughs> hey, 
Well, at least I do. You all probably got it figured out. I just lose my noodles, man. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. The Bible says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So that's Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. And not only that, you know the one, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which, now in the light of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he lets you suffer to strengthen you. Now look at that verse. I can do all things through Christ, which, so if I'm going to get strengthened, it's going to come through suffering. You see that? I can do all things through Christ. Yes, you can. (laughs) But suffering comes with it to strengthen you. All right, not only uh, strengthen, but it's designed to, the purpose of suffering is to settle you, to settle you. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. That's the last one here in that verse. Settle. Settle you. A lot of new Christians, uh, young Christians in the faith, and Christians that might not necessarily be young in age, they're very unsettled. They're very unsettled. They're very, uh, think of uh, concrete will settle up, you know. And uh, a lot of Christians will blow here and blow there to ev- according to every wind of doctrine the Bible says. Why? Not settled. Not settled. How are you going to get settled? Suffering. Colossians one twenty three. Suffering is designed to settle you as a Christian. Bible says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel as you have heard, and which is preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So it is suffering that uh, it perfects you, it establishes you, it strengthens you, and it settles. And think about it. It's suffering that does these things, not the things that are in your head. I thought for many years that the more Bible I could learn, the more I would be established, the more I would be strengthened. To a degree, yes, but it's not all head knowledge. Uh, look at it this way. We all know Romans 8.28, do we? No, we don't. Look at it with me. I'm going to stop assuming. Danger. Romans chapter 8.28. Some of you know where I'm going with this. But uh, I'll read the verse and then I'll make some comments here. Romans chapter 8.28. Bible says in Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We know that verse, don't we? Sure we do. But you know what? Until you lose a husband, until you lose a wife, until you lose a child, until you lose a mother, until you lose a father, you see where I'm going? Until you go bankrupt, until your marriage crashes and burns, you don't really know how well you know it. You see what I mean? Someone loses a loved one, well, you know, all things work together for good. Shut up. Yeah, that's true, but that's the dumbest thing you could tell somebody, that in that way. I'll tell you, you won't really know how well you know it until you go through it. What is it? Suffering. 
perfects you, establishes you, strengthens you, settles you. What happens is the establishing is done through suffering. And I think you get the point here. I'm going to cover this thing here. It's the top of the hour here. But I want to go back to this thing that's called, uh, a lot of people erroneously teach this thing called the second blessing. And I want to pinpoint it out to you. And I want to show you, and I think it's important for you to know this because if you deal with many people, you're going to hear this thing uh, talked about. And in 1 Thessalonians 3.10 is a verse that a lot of people use to try to prove this non-scriptural idea of the second blessing. And when it comes to the second blessing, oh, uh, we'll start with this uh, group here. The Plymouth Brethren, they teach that. Plymouth Brethren. And uh, you know who is part of the Plymouth Brethren? Schofield. C.I. Schofield put out one of the best... uh, reference Bibles ever put out you say uh, do you uh, say that about brother Schofield to make you uh, doubt him no but listen uh, man is man is a man so when you read brother Schofield's notes you have to keep in mind that he was part of the Plymouth Brethren yes God used him to put out a great book but even in the notes the notes aren't inspired the Bible's inspired so you have to understand when you read some of brother Schofield's note he might lean towards that direction in his noting and that doesn't make it right. So the Plymouth Brethren, uh, they, uh, they believe in the second blessing. And they teach that it's a gradual growing in grace and knowledge as a Christian. Uh, another group here is called the Keswick Convention. And this just might be uh, facts for some of you. But this Keswick Convention, uh, convention that thing started over in Joliel, England, back in 1875. It's also called the Higher Life movement and they uh, some of the people that were involved with that would be like uh, Watchman Knee if you ready in a, a Watchman's Knee stuff and uh, that Keswick Convention it was founded by it was founded by an Anglican and a Quaker and they teach this thing called the second blessing here and uh, they teach that it's, uh, it's this perfecting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 is not only a filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, but they may even call it a baptism, which it isn't. And that's why I'm pointing it out. It's non-scriptural. The stuff I'm putting up here is just pointing out where they're wrong according to the Holy Bible. And that Plymouth Brethren, that group, teaches that thing called the Second Blessing, the Keswick Convention there that began in 1875, the Higher Life Movement, they teach that thing there. And not only that, but you have the Wesleyan Methodists. The Wesleyan Methodists. And on a broader scale, any Methodist uh, of the old Methodist group uh, would also be familiar with this, uh, called the Second Blessing. And here's where it goes off the rails. Uh, They say that this uh, Second Blessing, it purifies uh, the Methodists do. And there's no scripture for that. They say it sanctifies. No chapter and verse. And then they say this. It eradicates your sin nature. Which is a bunch of baloney. Or salami. Or whatever you put on your sub there. Eradicates your sin nature. I mean really? You're stuck with that old sin nature till you get to glory. Imagine waking up and. Oh my sin nature is gone. You in glory is what you is. Eradicate your sin nature. And these people are so pompous about, this is the old group. 
And this is, uh, we're not done yet. They believe that the second blessing will push you on to sinless perfection. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Sinless perfection. An old preacher was riding with one of these fellers a while back, and, and he believed in the second blessing. And he was talking to this old preacher, and he looked at the old preacher, and he says, I haven't sinned in 25 years. And his 16-year-old daughter said, oh, daddy, cut it out. <laughs> You see what I mean? <laughs> Imagine that you had the second blessing and your old sin nature was eradicated. What a bunch of tomfoolery. And how about this? this they believe this, that you can no longer sin willingly. Amen. That's exactly my response, sis. <laughs> now you see what, you, what liberty you have in Jesus Christ if you believe the truth. Now, some people get all mad because you put that stuff on the board. But you need to know what the Bible says about it. And these birds, I'm sure they love the Lord, but they sure didn't get their doctrine out of the book because you're stuck with it. You're stuck with your sin. And if you run into any of these individuals like some of these older Wesleyan Methodists and some of the old, uh, old-time old Methodists, they'll say this, well, I can't sin anymore. I've heard it. I can't sin anymore. And then, then what happens? Well, they do sin. And know what they'll tell you? Well, I didn't do it willingly. <laughs> exactly. Or they'll say this. I, I know I sinned, but I didn't want to sin. Well, I don't know about you every time I sin. It's because I wanted to. You do. And last of all, the Pentecostal will use this. Pentecostal's big, that second blessing. And they... Uh, they, they uh, Pentecostal uses this verse to believe that it's a baptism of the Holy Ghost, which it isn't, and that it's confirmed with signs, and then those signs perfect your faith. Now, go to 1 John 2, 27. We're going to close this thing down. What you need to realize is that once you get saved, you get all the filling that you're going to get. Once you get saved, you get all the filling that you're going to get. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. I need to mark this verse here. The Bible says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth where? You hear the Pentecostals, you know, Oh, the anointing on you, the anointing on No, it's in you. Look at it. Which ye have received, past tense, that the moment you trusted Jesus Christ, you were anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. And it says, of him abideth you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now, that's not telling you you don't need to go to a church anywhere or uh, go to Sunday school. But as the same anointing teacheth you all things. Well, who's the teacher inside of you? Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 14. And his truth and is no lie, and even as have taught you shall abide in him. And don't let anyone ever tell you that you need a second blessing. Because you got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get when you got saved. Now, listen. What you do need to pray for as a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 as our last verse here tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The, uh, now, the Ephesians, they had trouble. You know what the Ephesians, one of the Ephesians' trouble was? They liked to drink. Well, that was awkward. It just kind of got weird there. <laughs> I thought I'd get two amens or something, you know. <laughs> but the Ephesians had trouble with drinking. You say, how so? Well, Paul gives them the specific command. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be ye what? Fill with the Holy Spirit. You see that? 
and you need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, look, you got all the Holy Spirit you got when you got saved, but let me tell you what, you're not always plugged into 440, are you? That filling wanes. That fill, I'll say it again, that filling in you wanes. That's why in Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 10, the body of a Christ is referred to as the moon. Now, let me read the verse. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon? The moon's got stages, doesn't it? Sometimes that moon, all you see is that little sliver of a toenail, don't you? And it's barely reflecting any light. (laughs) And sometimes you see that full moon, and it's reflecting so bright, and you can see all the craters and all the cheese in the world, right? That's just like you and your Christian life. You need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that? You ought to pray for His filling. Why? Because there's going to be times in your life where you need to minister to somebody else, and you need to do something for the Lord, and you need to constantly be praying that be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when I come and uh, teach and preach, I say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Not just me, but fill your people with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? So you can get what you're supposed to have. You're not always plugged into 440. I mean, you're saved every day of the week, amen? But you sure don't always feel it. And you sure don't always live it. That's why you got to pray for his filling. So that whole nonsense about the second blessing is unscriptural. And uh, you got to watch out for that stuff. And what it is is a bunch of people that don't know their Bible and they're trying to pretend that they're more spiritual because someone told them they got some kind of second blessing. All right, we'll stop there in verse 10. All right, let's stand and get out of here. Brother Brian, why don't you praise home, man?